I have alcoholism. My name is Bob. Hi, everyone. Just delighted to be with you. It's a uh, it's a Keystone Sunday morning for a Keystone conference, and I've just relished the experience of being with you immensely. If I may just take a brief moment to thank the host committee, all of those that were involved in making the entire occasion such a memorable one. Uh, most particularly to uh, to Sue and Austin and Wayne, and I've just relished the moment, and I've, I'm inclined to think, friends, and hopefully it'll be your experience as well, that it's been a memory maker, just a memory maker. And Wayne kind of alluded to this a little bit about any time we're together, as indeed we are this morning, and uh, uh, I don't know really how else to say it, friends, than just the way I did. I'm a profoundly grateful fellow. And any time I'm asked to share of myself in this kind of a fashion, there's a shroud of inadequacy briefly because I, I listened with keen interest to to Peter and to Robin and to Larry. And uh, I confess to you, uh, after, after Larry spoke last night, which was a culmination of just what I mentioned, I, I felt like heading to the bus terminal and the destination point was irrelevant. Just anywhere is fine, you know, just, just, uh, just get me on this thing and get me out of town, you know. <laughs> However, I'm mindful of this, of my profound inadequacy and deficiencies when I came to you. I was unable to go to the front of a room to do anything. And that's not an inflation of the truth, that's fact. I had been asked a number of times, and thank, thankfully to those members who cared so much for me, they didn't beat me up with such mindless language as you should never say no in AA. They, they knew, intuitively knew, that it was ill-equipped and deficient. They also recognized that it wasn't a refusal as such, it was just a, a temporary decline until I was able to kind of get oneself together a little bit. So by now there's a, a medallion r rattling around in my pocket for a one-year anniversary. Add a month or two to that, and I thought, gee, I, I can't be playing this tune forever. I've been asked to speak at a little out-of-town group, and I approached my sponsor. My sponsor was the late Davy Thompson. You, perhaps some of you will have heard of him over the time, Stuttering Davy, just whose impact upon my life was, was dramatic. So I, I approached Dave, and I said, Dave, this is what's happened, and uh, I've agreed to go on the coming Sunday night to speak at this group. Uh, do you have any any advice for me? I won't mimic his speech hesitation at the moment. And he said, sure. Be yourself. Do your best. And practice the presence of God. Now, with the utmost respect to everyone in this assembly this morning, I really rather doubt that that could be improved upon were I to have made a, a poll of some kind of a quarter ten. So may I say, uh, with your well-being in focus, for the next wee while, I'll be myself. I'll do my best. And I'll practice the presence of God. That's when I think of Dave. I think of that man every day. He's been dead eleven and a half years. Mostly with humor. Usually it's with humor that I think of him. He brought that marvelous facility of AA humor to his daily life. 
I could start telling Davy Thompson stories now, and I'd still be here Tuesday at this time. I'd be by myself, mind you, but <laughs> but I could. There's a sidebar to that story. Perhaps to complete it, I should share it with you. I went and did just that. Two weeks later, that group closed. It did. It shut right down. It not only shut right down, it stayed shut. It's still shut. My, you have to be awfully careful what you say to your sponsor, don't you? I approached Dave. I said, Davey, do you suppose my being there had anything to do with that group closure? There was the usual pause, and this is how he, he answered me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Probably. <laughs> I, I don't think I've ever sought praise since. And that's really what I was, was, was doing. There isn't a, a member of AA that I've ever known who doesn't from time to time need reassurance. The practice of the principle of reassurance is, is, is thoroughly in order. But I was seeking some kind of something else, whatever it may have been. I've been asked to share of me this morning. And in so doing, the floodgates of memory burst open to those giants of men and women who made my recovery possible. And uh, having said that, it's been really... By the grace of God and the Fellowship of Alcoholics Anonymous, which is not all that complicated despite my efforts to make it so at one time. It's people right here. It's program, we heard it right out, and it's prayer in that order. My last drink is July 17th, 1958. And, uh, <laughs> If there's an accolade due, it's to just those very sources that I already mentioned. People, program, and prayer. Um, you know, I was a sitting duck for something chemical. I, I truly was. I was deficient in all respects. I had uh, a very low opinion of myself. I just didn't fit in. I didn't belong. I didn't measure up. I should have been christened with the middle name Failure, not because anybody inflicted this upon me, but that's the way I was. My most distant memory, friends, and this is true, my most distant memory, my furthermost recollection as a wee boy, what I wanted to grow up to be was a kind and gentle man. Now, in family, there were three boys. A little quiet neighborhood. Uh, maybe they wanted to grow up to be a policeman or a fireman or the garbage man or whatever kids wanted to be. But that's an honest attestation of truth. And the example was set for me right at home. No alcoholism in my home. My father was a disabled fellow. His life was dramatically shortened, I'm sure, because of it. Never, ever heard that man complain. A gentle and kind man. And lest in the shuffle to follow here this morning, I uh, overlook it. In my fullness of gratitude, because of you, that aspiration, that wish has been realized. I present myself to you this morning, hopefully as your friend, most emphatically as a fellow staying AA member, but as a kind and gentle man. Gracious, did I get sidetracked. Boy, did I get derailed. I, I really don't know what prompted this. Perhaps I was wired wrong at the factory. I don't know. I, well, one of my more distant memories also would be in elementary school. 
Oh, was it painful. Uh, an assembly of maybe 25 or 30 kids. I knew every kid in the class, and the teacher would ask a class question, and my temples would start to pound, my face would start to flush to red, and my heartbeat would accelerate. Nothing's happened yet. She's just asked a question, for heaven's sake. And more often than not, obviously, she called your name, and that brought forth a tremendous relief. Occasionally, she would call mine, and it was a traumatic experience, and I... I would stammer, and I would just feel so awful about it. It was just terrible. I just never felt awkward with anything. I was just really emotionally displaced throughout. If we could forward a tad here to the teenage years, <laughs> the dating situation, oh, be joyful. You know, the gals taking an interest in the fellows and the fellows and the gals, and oh, I like the idea, but oh, mercy, was it painful. I would go through these, these laborious exercises. I wanted to ask a gal out. I should perhaps mention I wasn't inviting her to the French Riviera for a couple of weeks. This was, this was to a Friday night movie. A 50 cent Friday night movie. Have to be a movie because you don't talk. Right? <laughs> and I would struggle. And I would struggle with this. One gal, I can still remember her name. I must have dialed her number. 35 times, except to add, if I may, that I didn't finalize the last digit. And this thought, what would you want to go with me for? I'm skinny. I wear glasses. I'm uh, not very athletic. Besides, I've got a personality like a wet Kleenex. <laughs> and then the obvious conclusion, how oh, the hell with her? Finally, I did get the courage or the metal to complete the distance, and she, she said she'd be delighted to go out with me. Fine gal. Did that solve the problem? No. It made it worse. It did. I, I just, I think all my life I've been a crisis junkie. I just went from <laughs> one, one crisis to the next. And the crisis here was, what do I say to her? What do I say to her? Call on her on the Friday night to go to the show? Hi there. Kind of makes for a short evening, doesn't it? You know? That's sufficient background. All I would ask you to do, friends, the vast majority of I don't know personally, of course, take a moment and put into that particular wimpishness, a woe-be-gone, a couple of good stiff drinks. You had, you had an event. And, and in fact, it was a happening. <laughs> it's rather too bad you missed it. <laughs> In fact, come to think of it, it's a good thing you did, you know? <laughs> the transformation took place right then and there. This was great good stuff. I just loved it. I just loved it. I can't imagine with great respect anyone in this hall loving to drink any more than I did. From that point forward, I earnestly felt and believed that I was a couple of good stiff drinks below par. Whatever normalcy was, I missed it by just a couple of good stiff drinks. The party was on, and was it ever on? The last thing I had given any consideration to at all was a problem to follow. If indeed, and I don't ever remember this being pointed out to me, if indeed there was one, I would have categorically dismissed it. If indeed there comes to be a problem, I'll handle it. I didn't know what I was dealing with today. The disease of alcoholism. It's physical, it's mental, it's emotional. 
It's spiritual, it's economic, it's devastating. The, the essence of the story, a man took a drink, and a drink took a man. And there isn't a lady in the hall who's offended by that comment. Of course it's non-sexist. A person of some qualities, of some character, of some teachings, of some heretofore demonstrated ability to be a decent fellow, had all those values distorted, abandoned, or completely breached. Every single one of them. You know what I should really have said? Friends, the most important thing I can say about the disease of alcoholism this beautiful fall Sunday morning, it's treatable. It's treatable, friends. Right here, right now. Those are healing chairs that we're sitting on this morning, if we deem them to be so. And there were healing chairs for me in time, and as mentioned already, perhaps repetitiously, I'm a profoundly grateful fellow for that eventuality. Oh, there were, of course, some little problems. They were really rather minuscule with what was to follow. I have to say, with the progression of time, and my thirst, my unquenchable thirst, as the book talks about the phenomenon of craving. Uh, there are a couple of other isms that happened in my life. I'm not overly delighted about either one of them, but I guess in the name and spirit of truth they should be mentioned. One of them is big mouthism. <laughs> no, it's true. I was a skinny kid. In fact, when I got to AA, I weighed 106 pounds. And I'm sure 104 of it was mouth, you know. <laughs> Amongst the blessings I can count this morning, though, is that I was fresh out of life, fresh out of hope, and also fresh out of mouth when I got here. The otherism, I don't know which comes first, nor does it matter a hoot, is uh, absenteeism. I just go missing, vanish. Where is he? I don't know. He's here this morning, but this is this afternoon. I I've got an employment record that looks like rabbit tracks in the snow. <laughs> I, I do. Do you say we're going to have snow here tomorrow? Just a terrible, terrible employment record. I don't think we need to enumerate it. I don't think I could, honestly, in the name of truth anyway, do so. These are clearly not requirements for AA membership, may I say. But uh, I worked one time for Canada Bread for two days. <laughs> I know it's not a very long time. I would really like to have you believe that I didn't like their pension plan. <laughs> or perhaps that their benefits package was a little shy of the mark, and... Uh, friends, I wouldn't touch that with a barge pole, if I were you. I never on the Monday saw so much bread in all my life. It was everywhere. Bread, bread, bread. This skinny, scared, woebegone, four-eyed wimp worked all day, and Tuesday at noon I got thirsty. <laughs> Ever get thirsty? Oh, gosh. I went for a couple. I don't know why at our home groups we don't make a slogan out of that. Just a couple. Makes more sense than some of the dumb slogans we've got. Just a couple. It was always just a couple. A couple of drinks, a couple of bottles, a couple of cases, still just a couple. A couple of days is still a couple. And until my health collapsed, so was a couple of weeks is just a couple, you know. What's that one liner? You can always tell an alcoholic, but you can't tell them much. You know, that was rather way. Well, I come back mid-afternoon. I was strident. I was a different guy that went to drink my lunch and I earnestly felt, as mentioned before, I was just a couple of stiff drinks below normal. I walked back into Canada Bread, and I told them in no uncertain terms what they could do with every loaf of bread they'd ever baked. <laughs> it got their attention. 
I then proceeded to tell him what they could do with the rolls. I'm not really sure why. But would you agree, friends, if you get into a spot like that, it's vital. It's critical. It's absolutely necessary that we get the last word in, isn't it? I used to pull these stunts ad nauseum. The cop shop's not a great place to do it. I tried that there. And, uh, oh, mercy. I told them what they could do with their muffins. Some muffins that did me in. Oh, yeah. I, I may have indeed have had a career as a baker had it not been for those muffins. And, and I was exited from there the way I was exited from your home, the way I was exited from booze cans. Wherever I went, I could somehow get myself into a bag of trouble. I could get into trouble, friends, just by showing up. Just by walking in, showing up. It's of no interest to anybody here in Manitoba, I'm sure, but there's a, a booze can in downtown Toronto called the Canada House, and I don't know really how to describe it. I've been barred from there for life. I could try and describe it to you. Uh, it's an upholstered sewer. Uh, I don't know how else to say it. You wouldn't have an upholstered sewer here in Winnipeg, of course. But I've been barred from there. Old Jake threw me out of there on a Saturday night. I've been there since noon. And he, he said the words that, even to hear them repeated this morning, hurt. It's searing language. It goes right through the main arteries of your heart. Searing language. You know what the language is? You're off. I'm off. I've been here since noon. I'm off? I'm a customer. He said, shut up. You're off. Well, I pursued that. I don't remember how now, to be accurate. You're not only off, you're out. And I said to Jake, whom I mildly knew, I said, Jake, it'll take you and the British Eighth Army to get me out of here tonight. I'm not leaving. Well, I can only presume that the British Eighth Army was busy that night, so Jake took care of it all by, my, all by himself. And I hit the street with a tear and the only pair of trousers I was wearing, kind of thing. So this is the kind of thing that went on and on and on. And Now I should perhaps mention in the plight, there's now a marriage, a couple of little kids. And you know, it's painful, and we, we observed this from the dear folk that participated this weekend. To even repeat, it has still a, a pang to it, a sting to it. The truth has to be spoken. I was a derelict husband and an absentee father. And I get no joy out of making that revelation, however necessary it is. Compelled. Compelled. My drinking story, believe me, and we won't go on very much more with it, is as dull and as drab and as interesting as can be. And if I post, put it to you this way, friends, it's absolutely the truth as I share it with you. You see a drink, it's water, it's a glass, it's full, nearly full. That's what you saw. That's what you saw because that's all it was. But you know what was happening? Drinking this one, thinking the next one. Where is it? Have I got it? Do you have it? Can we find it? Beg it, borrow it, steal it. That's exactly what happened. But that's all you saw. I do remember, not too many occasions, but I do recall four or five at least where I refused to drink because I knew there wouldn't be any more. What was the point of it all? I have absolutely no identity with a social drinker whatsoever. That's not said with any thread of criticism at all. I just don't get it. I have a brother, a living brother, who's still a social drinker. Now, I'm no threat to anybody, anywhere. When I show up and somebody who's going to have a drink have one, and to my agony, I'll watch him pour them a drink. And you know what he'll do? 
to put the cap back on the bottle and put it away. It has a, it's none of my business, I realize, but it has a, a particular pain to it. I, I, don't, I said to him, aren't you perhaps afraid it'll go bad? <laughs> Have you given any thought to uh, evaporation, perhaps? I mean, when you take the top, the only reason they have tops on them is transport purposes, transit. You get it from there to here, even if it was just in time up an alley in a brown bag. I don't get it. I don't understand it. The real cruncher to that was one of these fairly recent times. I said, it's really none of my business, but is that the same bottle uh, from a year ago? And his answer, I find even more boggling. He'll say, I don't know, could be. I don't know, could be. Did you ever hear such foolishness in your life? That's sort of the way I was. Well, things got from worse to worser. <laughs> Bad to worse is right. Drinking more, enjoying it less, the fun had gone. There's an isolationism about this disease. There's a privacy about this pain. It may not always look that way with a flashing light in the eMERGE ward, the cops pulling you over, impaired driving charge number three, or whatever it may have been. The, the fuss, the bother. We've all gone out, even in sobriety, to a, a, a nice supper someplace, and sitting over there is a loudmouth drunk. And boy, do I have trouble practicing tolerance with people that look like me and act like me. It's just life, really. But uh, this is indeed the way it was to follow. Isolationism. I had been, friends, a secret saver from childhood. Secrets. It's my considered view that secrets will kill us. My urgent plea for anyone indeed who is in this assembly or beyond to make contact with us by your own selectivity, not ours, to find someone with whom you've got confidence that can share your innermost and your secrets with. It's one of the most hygienic things we can possibly do in keeping with the notion of serious recovery from this devastating illness. And I couldn't do that then. The privacy of my makeup was such I just couldn't do it. I can mention a couple, and we'll take them, I hope, to a conclusion, a reasonable conclusion. One was a four-year-old boy, my son. I just love that boy. And surely you didn't leave your homes to come here and listen to that. Don't we love our kids? Of course I love them. I was working then. I worked most of the time. Scratch Canada bread. I worked most of the time. I, I thought it was Halloween. Isn't that a week or so away from now? It was Halloween. I was sober. I phoned him. You don't even have to like kids to appreciate the joy and exuberance and excitement in an innocent four-year-old's voice when Daddy was going to be a daddy, and I'm sure that's quite allowed. Mummy was going to be a mummy if you're in the hall. He'd be a pirate or who knows what, up this street, down that street, candy apples, candy kisses, and the excitement in that youngster's voice is still in here when I think about it. Didn't make it home, friends. Stopped for the infamous couple. Two plus two plus two plus two plus two. Got home drunk. Not blacked out. What a great relief it was for me in, in your midst to give all my blackouts in time to a loving God as I perceive that spiritual force to be in my life. Heavens of others enough to remember as it is and proceed then, of course, to make, make amends. What I did see when I did get home, very late, very drunk, but not blacked out, in the, this dumb flat that we lived in Oshawa. Gosh, was it flat. It was about as flat a flat as I ever had lived in, frankly. I saw for me in that back bedroom 
three tear stains on the left side of that youngster's cheek where he'd cried himself to sleep with heartbreak and disappointment because of me. Alcoholism, the disease, the heartbreaker. More dry than wet, of course. Two tear stains up here about the cheekbone, the one on the middle uh, down here by the jawbone, and it consumed me with guilt, loneliness, and remorse. And I couldn't share that with anybody. Hence the word secret. Hence the fact that I would carry this to the box. And there were, there were hundreds of them. I'll stay with just a couple. My, that bothered me. I don't know what you did with your secrets. I have no right to ask, and I'm not. But aren't they awful? Aren't they awful? I never in my life took a drink to hurt anybody. Most emphatically, and neither did you, did I take a drink in my life to break somebody's heart for whom I had a great love. And neither did you. Good people sit in these rooms. The goodness in your hearts, the goodness in your lives. And my, oh my, wasn't it terribly disguised and misappropriated for so long. That's one unspeakable. My mother, when she was 55, was the youngest 55-year-old I've ever known. That's a true remark. She'd been a widow then for a number of years. When my mom was 60, she was the oldest 60-year-old I've ever known. Now, any, including some in the hall, could say, oh, come on, give your head a shake. Don't we all age? It was just a normal aging process from 55 to 60, I guess. Well, nice try. It just happens to have been the last five years of my drinking. When she was 55, she was happy. Her eyes kind of danced. She was quick to smile. She had a great sense of humor. When she was 60, her hands fidgeted. Her eyes were red-rimmed. Her mouth drooped. And she asked me a question that I had no answer for, friends. Absolutely no answer for. Bobby, what are you doing to yourself? And I remember saying, I don't know, huh? I don't know. Another unspeakable. Broke her heart. Another unspeakable. But I continued to drink. And may I mention, friends, that on a Sunday morning in March, I had just... Uh, I was approaching my 29th birthday, living in that dumb flat in the city of Oshawa. I was vertical. It was earlier than this Sunday morning. I'm guessing it's about 9.30. I was in my Sunday morning uniform, my alcoholic uniform, which meant that there was nothing, absolutely nothing between the raw me and the world at large, but my old blue bathrobe. I think every alcoholic should have a blue bathrobe. I, the one that's... Uh, suitably embroidered with cigarette stains and cigarette burns and liquor stains. And, and there I was, barefooted, unwashed and unshaved, sitting in my chair with my first drink in my hand. In it walked. It, being a fellow nicknamed Mick, with whom I did an awful lot of drinking, larger than life, healthy, disgustingly healthy, uh, and he arrived. Uninvited, unannounced, and unwelcomed, may I say. I had no idea he was coming. I would have done something to thwart it had I been aware. And there he was, and there I was. And he looked at me with that look that only an AA member who's clean and sober and healthy has on his face. And he said to me, probably one of the most ridiculous things I've ever heard in my life, he said, how are you doing, buddy? <laughs> A thorough jerk. There's only one way to say it. It's the only experience I've ever had. I, it'd be quite fine with me if it never reoccurs, and that's to be drinking in front of an AA member. 
I pretended the drink was invisible. That's how sick I was at the time. He was wearing at that particular time the AA smile. You know how that can look to someone who's sick and disturbed and bothered as I was? It's the kind of an AA smile, really, that should be removed. <laughs> Perhaps with the liberal application of a tire iron, you know? Was I delighted to see him. I'm not very bright, but I didn't fall off a turnip truck either. I'd heard via the grapevine, or maybe more accurately, friends, I'd heard via the grape that he dumped something terribly racked. AA, whatever that is. He should have gone somewhere. AA, BB, CCYY. He should have gone somewhere. And isn't that an attestation of the problem itself? We can always look outwardly and see it where somebody else is in difficulty. Isn't it one of the harshest, most cruel criticisms of, of, or acknowledgments of this disease? The one who's got it is the last to know, or at least the seriousness of it. He invited me to come to AA with him. I suppose I could today say that was a noble gesture. And uh, I wanted to get rid of him. I think you'd agree that's the most reasonable thing to be thinking at that particular moment. So I agreed. I said, okay, Mick, I'll go to AA with you. He did, friends, exactly what I'm going to do. Right now, right this minute is exactly what he did. Good, get your pants on. You don't have to shower, you don't have to shave. The meeting starts at 11 o'clock, the coffee's on, let's go. Well, I hadn't really considered this new way of life so, so quickly to be inflicted upon me. So I told Mick to do with AA exactly what I told Canada Bray to do with the muffins. And, and, and I'm not so sure the language wasn't about the same. To his credit, he got up and left. Friends, that had all the trappings, didn't it, of a failed 12-step call. It didn't occur to me for some considerable time that here is a fellow who left his home in a snowstorm, drove 25 miles one way and then did it on return, singularly with the objective in mind to share something with me that in his opinion, not mine, mine didn't count, in his opinion might be helpful to me. Wasn't that generous? A practicing AA member thinking unselfishly of someone else's well-being. What a guy, really and truly. I was to continue to drink. I was experiencing at that particular time, maybe someone in the hall has experienced the same thing, it's called, for the want of a better term, the not-yets. If ever the not-yets, not-yet had I had impaired, impaired driving charge number four. Not yet. Had I been delighted at the Don Jail, oh, how wonderful. Oh, how wonderful. Get in line to be delighted, stark naked. And I said to the guy, what are you talking about? I showered, shut up and get in line. And not yet had that happened. Not yet had I committed a fraud upon my then employer. I stole her money. It's the nicest way I can think of saying it. I stole her money. Not yet. So I continued to drink and fraught and enraptured with the practicing principles of this disease, self-deception and denial, and if that didn't fit the circumstances, blame picks. Blame somebody for this. I looked for a good chunk of my life somebody to pin this on. And I got here and you weren't buying it. You weren't buying it at all. When we move along to the following summer, oh my, oh my, was it miserable. With those experiences and the two unspeakables that I mentioned, it was lonely. 
I had, as mentioned, no right to ask you what your unspeakables were or what, how you handled them. In simplistic terms, I can share with you how I handled Shut away, shut down, shut off, shut up. In approximately that order. Without overplaying the hand, it was friend, it was hell. And your hell is of interest to me this morning, as indeed your wellness is. Hell is hell, isn't it? And the kind of story that I shared with you this morning, none of it's a requirement for any membership, thank goodness. Isn't it wonderful we don't have to go over Niagara Falls in a barrel or hijack an aircraft to belong to this outfit? How are things really on the inside? Really. Never mind the quick lip. How are they really on the inside? If I were to have answered that question myself at that time, awful, just awful. No unemployed. No unemployable. I just had my 30th birthday. I was walking the streets, banging butts. I don't think we need to go into any particular detail. I had a real good mouthful of skid row, and I couldn't handle that either. The merit, really, of the unseen hand. I was having no part of this God stuff, hadn't for years and years. I was such an angry man, a y- angry young man. And here I was, not having drank for a week or so, and the prior outing suicide looked attractive. I don't think I need to belabor that point particularly. Here I was in a downtown Toronto booze can, drunk, one more time. Ever drink yourself sober? Isn't it a terrible place to be? I was, of course, drunk. I couldn't walk. I couldn't talk, which was maybe a blessing. I was virtually immobilized with this stuff. Get this. The thought occurred to me. I never had a thought that occurred to me in my life that was positive, or that wasn't self-serving in some fashion. The thought occurred to me. When Mick called on me a year ago March, he mentioned something in AA called a group, whatever that is, And he met on a Friday night. This was a Friday. The thought occurred to me, maybe I should give Mick a call. The day in my life I take credit for that thought is the day that I'm in deep, deep trouble. I I had no such pre-notion to this at all. There was a payphone in the corner of this dump. I only drank in dumps now, or up an alley someplace, just a dump. I had, this isn't said for drama drama, uh, at all, I had a dime and a nickel. Phone calls were a dime. I went over to the corner of that payphone. I phoned him. He phoned me my last AA birthday, just just past July. I said, Mick, it just kind of struck me. I've never asked you. I don't think this before. What did I say to you on the phone? And uh, you know how he answered me? He said, Bobby, you'll never be sober long enough to have me share that with you. So (laughs) he came and got me. Wasn't that a nice gesture? He came and got me. He took me to my first AA meeting. And I just love to go to AA meetings and listen to what you have to say. It's one of the fashions of my life that brings joy to my heart. I just love it. So here's my first AA meeting. Drunk. The single most thought I had in my mind. This is so typical of me, it needn't be expanded upon. When Mick picked me up to the doors of the Scarborough Group, my single thought was, now look what I've gone and done. As if I'm not in enough trouble now, I've done it this time. I can't duck this now. I phoned the bum, and he's here. And we walked into that room, and I sat down. There were people around, 
and was I sick and was I miserable? It was just awful. The worst evening of my life. And no, at an AA meeting. And that takes something to say this is the worst. It was just awful. The meeting went on and on and on and on. The chair chaired, the readers read. We read everything that's ever been written that night. We even read some stuff that hadn't been written. We were yesterday, today, and tomorrow, and the day after tomorrow, and a week Thursday. And it went, oh, is it miserable? And the speaker. Oh, gosh. Is it true, historically, that there were two world wars? I think so. That night there were five. And he was in all of them. He was in all of them. He spoke in the Second World War, the Italian campaign, we're drinking and or drunk. He was walking back and forth over a minefield in the Italian campaign. I sat there in my misery hoping he'd step on one. I, uh, I really and truly felt, friends, that it'll never end. I thought that the meeting will never end. Somebody in the hall this morning is thinking the same thing. May I assure you, assure you that it did this well. It did this well. Now, when I love to go to my meeting, my home group meeting in Barry, I moved there a couple of years ago, it was a Tuesday night. I go and I listen. Love to listen to what you have to say. What did I glean from my first AA meeting? In the name of honesty. What did I get from my first AA meeting? Dick. <laughs> well, what would you expect me to say? It was misery from start to finish. Except, the meeting was over, but the evening isn't over. After the meeting, get this. It was a lady, ladies, God bless you. Scarborough Group, I think, had a population explosion. There were three of them. And I don't know which one it was. They're all deceased. Maybe I'll find out someday on the other side, and it doesn't matter if I don't. It's in keeping with the unselfishness of AA. She took me aside. Over here came a half full cup of coffee. Over here came a lighted cigarette. From behind, these two taps on this shoulder... This language choice precisely, you're going to be okay, you know. Intuitively, I should have turned on my heel and just blistered her with my mouth. You dummy, you horse's neck, you fool. Don't you realize the trouble I'm in? There's a fraud charge pending. I'm going to be going to penitentiary for three or four years, you idiot. <laughs> and you're telling me I'm going to be okay? You know, I didn't say any of those things. No, why, friends? Didn't think of it. Would you agree there's a likelihood that that too may have been the unseen hand or in time the grace of God as we come to acknowledge and preparedly so to do so? I believed her. I believed that lady. And I've had a special fondness and appreciation for the ladies of Alcoholics Anonymous from that day to this. In my opinion, friends, you're angels. No matter what kind of trouble you make, may what your background was doesn't mean a thing to me because of what you did for me. Just simply marvelous. It's maybe not accurate. Sometimes generalities can be flawed. I believe this. The telephone rings now that we're practicing AA members and we're living by this creed. What do I do? I answer it. Don't you? Of course I answer it. And there's usually a, a, a pen close by or pencil. You know what the ladies of AA do? Of course they answer it. They reach for a chair. They reach for a chair. That's how helpful they want to be. I was too sick Saturday to go anywhere. My uh, my earlobe shook. 
Gee, I don't ever want to be that sick again. I had hair then, it hurt. I'd welcome a little hurting hair this morning if there's any to spare, really, you know. But it's, it's sort of a, an intriguing thing. I was at the meeting Sunday morning that I had rejected a year ago March that Mick had invited me to. And I was very much of a regular there ever since. I'm now underway. And in virtually no time I was to meet the giants of men and women, some of whom, three or four at least, uh, that I could name from Winnipeg. And oh my, did they do a number on me. The burning issue in life for them was recovery. Mine. I'll never get over that. I'll, if I live to be 10,000 and I'm working at it, I'll never get over that. My recovery. They had two questions. One a rather commonplace one. Could I with help stay away from one drink for one day? Why, certainly. I've been too sick to drink, too broke to drink, too locked up to drink, too cussed to drink. That was an easy one. That was an easier hurdle. But the one that just literally knocked my socks off. Believe me, friends, if there was ever, ever, ever a nothing guy that walked through the doors of AA. A nothing guy. Believe me. Unemployed, unemployable. Now 30. All finished. I could see nothing ahead for me in life but the madness and the blackness of raging alcoholism. A nothing guy. Believe that, please. And here was the question number two. Would I give you a chance to help me? I've never gotten over that. I've never gotten over that reality. And I could say to anyone in the hall this evening, most particularly the young man that came forth last night and got the book from Don, would you, anyone in the hall, give us a chance to help you? The 1170 Young Street Reception Center was going then rather, rather well. It was a place for me to go during the day. I couldn't buy, beg, borrow, or steal a job for some considerable period of time because of my record. Awfully hard if you're 30 to bury eight or nine years' worth of life, and I couldn't uh, get anywhere with that. I still remember these fellows. They'll remain nameless. They're all deceased, but they engraved themselves in my heart forever. One guy, I don't ever remember him saying hello. Now, that has to be a fallacy. He must have. I don't remember him saying hello. All I ever heard him say was, get honest, clean house, trust God, help others. You saw him again that night, get honest, clean house, trust God, help others. And I would think, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember it this morning because it's true. Another old guy there, he would, he would be somewhere in the neighborhood of 117 years old, I think. And he, he sat there with his hands folded over his little pot belly. And all I ever heard that man say, I don't think he said hello either. All I ever heard him say is, this too shall pass. I, and I didn't have the metal, but I was kind of wishing you would. You know? <laughs> I really wish you would pass. You know? And next time I saw him, this truth will pass. You know? And why do I remember these things? The giants of men and women who made my recovery possible. In a handful of days, I was to meet my sponsor, the late Davy Thompson, stuttering Davy Thompson. And what a marvelous influence of positivity he had. Can you believe it, friends? He had five of us all new at once. That's more than anyone should burden. Five of us. As I stand before you this morning, hopefully as your friend, five plus Dave is the obvious six. I'm the only one living. Three died of the active disease. That isn't a statistic that you can read into anywhere. Don't pay too much heed to it other than it's just one of my own experiences, that's all. I don't think we can equate that to the general AA population. I'm not a, intending to infer that. Three of them died. One with a... Uh, a medallion in his pocket. 
alcoholism, the disease, it's devastating. And here we've got this marvelous opportunity to live again. One day that fall, Dave called us. He had an old car. He'd fill that car up every night of the week. I was too sick, too woebegone, too frightened, too inadequate, and too deficient to do too much on my own, really. I wouldn't leave that flat unless Dave had said for several weeks at the time of day, that night, the pot to follow that he'd pick me up. And if there was a story in the book they urged that I read, and I, I had a terribly difficult time reading. And it has nothing to do with being a grade 12 dropout. That has nothing to do with it at all. I couldn't concentrate. I'd read a couple of paragraphs and my mind would wander. Maybe an hour or two would go by and I realized I hadn't read anything more than the other. And those two paragraphs, I'd try it again. But I read The Man Who Mastered Fear, Archie Trowbridge's story, the founder of AA in Detroit, and the isolation and the aloneness. He lived with Bob and Ann Smith for a time and, and I identified with that. Too fear-filled to leave the Ardmore home and have it out of his view. And I had the experience of pushing my two-year-old daughter around the corner in Oshawa, out of sight of that flat, and I felt a sense of victory, an accomplishment for a wimp and a woe-be-gone like me. And it's been a progression of events ever since that, friends. And isn't it a strange thing if we come to apply these steps as best we can, daily renewal, of course, cleaning house and helping others, is, is a lifestyle. And it's not news to anybody in this hall this morning. Surely it isn't. Most particularly to those who participated here yesterday. If you live it, you love it. And if you love it, you live it. I'm not one whit different this morning as I present myself to you as I would be in the office. I've now retired. Or at work or on the road or wherever it might be. What you got is what there is. And I regard that as a wondrous type of experience. It's brought me so much genuine pleasure and genuine happiness. If I have a negative at all, it's minuscule, I wonder where so many, and they're not all dead, and they're not all sick, of some of the fellows that I came to AA with. They don't come out anymore. My friend Mick hasn't been to an AA meeting in 11 years. He's as sober as physically as we are here this morning. I don't, I don't get it. I, don't I love it. I wouldn't want to have missed the experience. It's given me so much. In essence, you have given me everything. You have given me life. I was to become employed. I was to carve out after a fashion a career of sorts that meant that I could debt resolve and build a life. And if I may, friends, I'll mention one or two little things, if I could, please, with your indulgence. Can we take that four-year-old boy? Halloween? Tear stains? He was six when I got to AA. I did the things that were suggested. I tried to be a dad. When he was eight, I had a birthday. And in the squiggly printing of an eight-year-old boy, this language choice precisely, to the greatest dad in the whole world. Tear stains. How in the world, I'd be sober two years, wouldn't I? How in the world could I thank you for that? I felt terribly deficient. Never mind the deficiencies of my prior life. That was just an overwhelming sort of thing. To the greatest dad in the whole world. The name of our fellowship when I got here, it could have been called Heartbreakers Anonymous. Let's not even entertain that. It's quite fine the way it is. But that's because I broke hearts, you know, with behavior in my mouth and inattentiveness and apparent uncaring. And it's only apparent because I cared. It didn't appear to be that way. 
If I felt that way then, how do you think I feel this morning? He's 45 years of age and hasn't changed his mind. Hasn't changed his mind. He came up to Barry on Wednesday for lunch. Just have a visit. He's got a, got a couple of days off. And I looked at that man who's now mid-years. He's very much adult, obviously, at 45. And I looked at that man. We were laughing about it. We laugh a lot. And I just took a glance at him. This wasn't a willful, deliberately thing. And I saw here those tear stains. Am I a grateful fellow? Was Thanksgiving weekend not last weekend for us in Canada? It was. Yours is November, Larry. It was. Every day can be Thanksgiving day for practicing AA members. Am I thankful to you? Well, I, I should surely hope so. At home, there's a license plate that came by a courier, personalized plate. He couldn't get the full thing on there, so he got the Blue Jays logo, or ball fans, and on there is July 17. He remembers really nothing about my drinking. My daughter is, was two when I got to AA. And uh, it's just an extraordinary thing. Did I mention, of course I did, the 55-year-old mother who became a 60-year-old mother? Never took a drink in her life. She lived to be 93. I've got a great heritage too, friends. Uh, if I could live up to half of it. She died a happy woman at the age of 93, and for the last X number of years of her life, I was able to care for her because of you. Never took a drink in her life. Uh, they were a family of prohibitionists, is really what they were. Uh, I said, it's too bad, Mom, that you didn't, just to even have the experience. And she said, well, thanks anyway, son. <laughs> um, nobody in the family drank. And she, with a smile on her face, as she's now a happy woman, says, just as well, because you made up for all of us anyway. <laughs> Who could ever think of something like that happening? And she died a happy woman. Don't ask me about AA. Ask her. And she was living, obviously. She'll tell you what AA is about, as to what it did for her eldest son. Marvelous experience. She wouldn't know a step from a stone, for heaven's sake. But she lived by the precepts of kindness, thoughtfulness, prayer, dependency upon a loving God, and doing for others persistently through all of her 93 years. She wasn't even ill before she died. She just dropped her head and died. That's all one morning. Just as simple as that. If there has been some downsides, there have. Life does go on. That same son I mentioned who was involved very seriously in a car accident five or six years ago. I had just retired, which meant that I was able to care for him. Daily therapy. I was able to do it. Not because I have an oversized heart, but because I'm an AA guy. You, you work this thing away from meeting rooms. It's a crock of nonsense unless it's a practice in daily affairs, in my view. And in my early view of AA, my gosh, I wonder if this will work for me. Oh, I hope it does. Because if this doesn't, nothing will. I'm not saying that's accurate. I'm not subscribing to that this morning. But those were my thoughts back then. My 23-year-old brother dropped dead when I was sober eight months. You couldn't turn around in that funeral home for AA members. And I didn't know the most of them. They knew me. I didn't know them. I, I want to belong to something like this. I want to live this life with you. I want to go for the rest of the journey with you. And the brotherhood of man, if you will, under the fatherhood of God, appeals to me. It gives me a real buzz. And I got a real buzz last night when a fellow with a couple of weeks of sobriety came up here. And I've never lost my enthusiasm for this. I love it. 
I just love it. And it's no surprise to anybody in the hall, heavens, I'm 69 years old, working on 70. It sounds ridiculous. I feel younger this morning than I did when I was 30. I don't look it, obviously, but I feel it. I feel it. The exuberance of life. If you live it, you love it. I don't think I need to go into a great deal more detail. I worry a lot from time to time over my daughter. She's a beautiful young lady, now 41, next week. Uh, cute as a button. She weighs 89 pounds soaking wet. She has more of her dad in her than I might wish for, in rebellion. She has, God bless her, the most amazing capacity to attract deadbeats, users, and losers. She's been living with this deadbeat now for six years. He's never worked a day in six years. She works. She's carved out a career. She's got a good job. Works her backside out. 89 pounds and soaking wet and feisty. And I look at this guy. And if, when, when, when murder becomes allowable, uh, uh, I'll be in line. And, and, and I've said to fellow group members, and much like they're sitting up here at the table with a great relationship with our close friends, I said, I could kill that man. And, and I just won't resort to blasphemy this morning. It's not only Sunday morning, but I don't have to do that anymore anywhere, really. But these are the kind of emotions. Life does unfold. Life does go on. It isn't totally a walk in the park for any of us. And the saddest commentary I can make, and it was with the noticeable and glaring absence of Alan in our lives that my wife and I separated many years ago, not through an adversarial thing. There was just nothing there. And I saw all around me the, the reclamation of lives and, and how beautiful it was. And what have I done wrong? And I'd appeal to those who were so kind to me. They would say, try what you keep talking about. And what I keep talking about is the program. And overly simplified, the program is, is just this, friends. Stay a little longer and try a little harder. That's the message of AA. Don't quit. And I stayed longer and tried harder, and it just wasn't working. And we focused, and I take more than my share of this, was on our kids. And when they became adults and left, there was really nothing there. So I've been on my own now for a number of years. And it, it pleases me so much to know about the reclamation of lives in your families. And I'm terribly, terribly happy for you. It's just one of those things in life, isn't it, you know? However, I uh, near to the point where, gracious, it's five after eleven. I have just loved being here. I think it's only fair and proper to, once again, thank you so much for your hospitality, for your generosity, for your attention and kindness here this morning to that committee, and all of you who are involved and immersed in making this such a pleasurable experience for those of us who have been invited to come along. As I'm about to take my chair... May I beg your indulgence just for one more minute. I have a wish for you. It's an all-inclusive wish. Nobody is left out. There's a little wee baby in a lady's arms down here. That includes the baby. It includes youngsters I saw earlier. Everybody. Al-Anon very much included. Alatina, of course. And everybody in this assembly, nobody's left out. You know what my wish is, friends? May God's richest blessings just be heaped upon you. I've never met anything more sincere in my life than that one remark. May God's richest blessings just be heaped upon you. Know why? You deserve it. You've suffered enough. You've been alone enough. You've been sleepless enough. You've been demented enough if you've lived with an alcoholic like me. Good 
gosh, only anyone could say, come with us, stay with us. Stay a little longer, try a little harder. Again, emphatically, may God's richest blessings just be heaped upon you. Thank you again so much. And perhaps along the way, our paths will again cross. I pray indeed they do. Thank you very much.